0: Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Joe Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now,
1: here's Sanjay Gall. Hello, and uh, welcome to this segment on CTN. To learn more, please visit CIOtalknetwork.com. And the topic for today is from passion to impact. So what we are trying to do today is to have to get a lot of things done. And we want a bunch of people who are full of passion and energy to help execute on it. And when we talk about passion, should we just assume that if we give them the breathing room, allow them to learn, grow, and prosper, would that unleash their passion? Or is there something else which we may be missing? And that's why many companies report that they don't have a passionate bunch. But if you are able to kindle that passion in people, how do you that channelize it and make sure that they try to do things which are thoughtful and they're aligned to the vision and they start painting outside the lines, become innovative and eventually help drive meaningful impact? To discuss that, we have two esteemed guests here. So I'll start with Kevin Jones. He's the CIO of Indiana Department of Child Services. Hey Kevin, how are you? I'm doing well, sir. How are you? Very good. Very good. Thank you. And we also have Lewis Stockford, who's the CIO with Centerplate. Hey, Lewis. How are you doing?
2: Good. How are you doing?
1: Very good, sir. Very good. So we will get started with you, Kevin. So as I you know, said about the passion part, so if, if we are working on too many things and you see people also working hard, should it be construed as passion or they are just working under fear or under the burden of a deadline? How do you, how do you differentiate, especially in today's day and age?
3: Uh, I think it's, it can be it can be complicated, and I think I work in an environment um, IT specifically, which we know that in many cases, a lot of our employees or a lot of the individuals we collaborate with may not be emotional and they may not be extroverted and. Passion tends to uh, connotate an emotional connection. And I think one of the things I've learned to do is to really look at things outside of just how they act in the energy. I look at the output. So I start to take more of a perspective of the quality because so many times there are individuals who are super introverted and quiet, but they put so much into the work. And I think that's where we have to differentiate and look at, you know, sometimes deadlines require you to move faster where you don't get to put the effort and the quality that you would want to because of your passion for what you're doing. So I start to really look at the quality and and look at the opportunity cost, look at what is it that I get by allowing this individual to put all of themselves into the work and maybe even slip a deadline to get a better product. So I start to really look at the quality versus hitting deadlines to see if an individual is really passionate and believe in what they're doing and, and I get that feedback from that space.
1: So Lewis, based on Kevin, uh, Kevin's response here, someone who works very hard and puts when we've, since we are looking outside in, we are saying this person is putting, you know clocking a lot of hours perhaps, and they are producing results. May, may, may or may not meet the deadline, but it is a superior product. Should we construe this as passion or work ethic?
2: Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I agree, I agree with, um, you know, Kevin's points. I think um, I think what you've just described there for me is more work ethic than it is passion. Uh, I think, um, you know, you can work hard um, on something, um, miss some deadlines, and kind of not be passionate about it. Um, so I think with my teams, I kind of try to, you know, give, give them a kind of a balance of that, of, you know, just... Uh, doing day to day work as well as you know maybe some feedback on some projects that they'd like to work on or participate in. Um, we we have a lot of projects available, so there's lots of choice there for for them to figure out, hey, what interests you exactly? Uh, you still have to do your day job, but here's some here's some things that'll make it uh, more interesting and and it's something that you're interested in.
1: So Kevin, if I were to have someone work. Uh, as as we discussed about work ethic or the way you define like the person is really putting the time. That's work ethic and that's table stakes, right? That you would expect from a person. Passion, they should bring. I mean, that's our wish. But essentially, it comes back to the kind of environment we are creating for them. So one is to say, hey, we would love for you to do what you want to do and so that we can help you stay passionate or become passionate. But when it comes to the way we allocate tasks, and the kind of deadlines we accept from the management or the kind of environment we create. The passion is usually the output of all of that. So where do you think, let's start with your organization and then we can look at the outside world. What are you doing to make sure they have the breathing room for them to be able to think outside of the next task they need to complete for them to even start thinking, what do I want to do? Otherwise, they come back, come come to the office with a lot of tasks leave have spent. Where is the passion then?
3: So, for me, I, I look at, and me as a CIO, I, I have to take the time to actually learn my individuals, i and, and we classify them as human resources, but I have to focus on the human aspect before I focus on the resource. And one of the things I require from all of my team members is to, we do a one year, three year, five year plan. And it's a personal plan, not one for within the business, but one that's personal and personal growth. So we take that one year and make sure that the alignment with the one year lines up with the three, the three lines up with the five. And then we take those goals and we find alignment for those goals within the organization. As a CIO, I provide the content, but the content within it, I allow my team to have flexibility in those areas, and then I manage what we look at from a perspective of KPIs and the KTPs. As long as I'm getting the appropriate output at the appropriate time, and I'm able to see the growth that we need, I can give a little flexibility, which allows the individuals to go and take that one-year, three-year, five-year plan that they know at the end of each one of those intervals, they've grown based on their desire and not necessarily mine. But I wrap my vision and I wrap my outputs around, or my, my achievable goals around their desire, and then I find gaps. So what you do find gaps. And then I bring in and hire people around the gaps that I have. So I start with who I have, build their plans, and build my context around their desires and goals. And then I fill individuals in in those open areas where I don't have the resources who want to do that. And that allows me to still achieve my goals, in many cases, faster. And the quality is much higher because it's built around individuals People process technology. The individuals are the solution and not necessarily the technology and the process because the technology is there. So allowing them to build build my individual people as my solution, knowing that the outputs get the results from the technology, has been successful for me.
1: So, Lewis, if you are trying to bring people and building an environment – Uh, And and to to basically get them to do the job and as per Kevin, delivering the results that we need to deliver. When you're looking at it, are you looking at it from the agenda or rather the goals or the performance criteria that's been set for you so that if they deliver to what you want to see them deliver, you will get the boys, and you will get the promotion? Or is it that your performance criteria is not just delivering the results. Your organization has stepped up and said, not only Lewis, you're supposed to help deliver results, but we will also measure you how well. Have you developed your people and how passionately do they work?
2: Um, Yeah, so um, I try and take a personal approach with my team, so just kind of work with them, uh, try and develop some trust between them. And, and myself, and uh, and kind of just work with that. And, and I think every, you know, there's no, there's no silver bullet here. I think everyone's uh, everyone's different. Uh, they've got different styles, different uh, ways that they react to these kind of conversations. Um, so you kind of have to take it on a one-off kind of basis to develop that trust and personal relationship. Uh, and then and then then I found they they're more open to you know open up to you and kind of. Uh, work with you on what their goals are, and especially within technology uh, teams. They're, you know, they're heads down kind of guys, and they like to kind of just sit in a dark corner and work um, a lot of the time, and uh, they don't want to have necessarily um, talk about their, you know, how, how, their, how their career is going and that kind of thing, but I think once you develop that trust, uh, you can give them feedback about what they want. And then, and then you can act on that. And then I tend to take a very common sense approach to it. So if they want to work on this kind of technology and this kind of technology, um, I just try and make that happen. And, and of course, also evaluate. You know, are they ready to do that? Uh, and then do that. I'm not. You know, for myself, I'm not concerned about. Um, you know, um, myself. You know, what, what my what my leadership is going to think about me and and um, you know. Uh, my performance there uh, i'm really focused on at that point for that particular conversation with the employee i'm focused on their career i'm not focused on mine
1: do you think if if the organization was doing that the leaders would become more intentional about balancing what needs to be delivered versus the evolution or, or, or evolving their people and developing their people and also instilling passion in them, what would make you do as a leader, and you means you, that community of you, which is CIOs, so that they become intentional about it? Because many are not.
2: yeah I mean a lot of this is uh, goes back to maybe the maturity of the organization right and so not every organization is at the same maturity level and so you're going to get different um, responses to the same questions um, so my organization for example um, you know kind of medium um, maturity level um, so you know we're kind of getting to a point now where we're starting to understand this um, connection between uh, you know, our employees being happy and performance. And so we're kind of starting to go down this road a bit more at the senior executive level. And then, but at my level, I've always been the same. I've always tried to figure out um, what makes my, uh, my team tick a little bit and, uh, and what they want out of, you know, like they're coming to work, right? We, we just, they come to work, they do work, we pay them, right? We're trying to make it like a little different than that and elicit some passion, um, and also the individuals, right? Not every individual is the same, right? Not everyone comes into a job um, passionate. As, uh, you know, as Kevin mentioned before, you've got, you got different folks out there, so you got, and you've got people with different emotional intelligence levels. So I think you have to kind of know your team and know who's ready to go to those different levels. Uh, and those who aren't ready to go to those, uh, the next level, you, know, you, can, you can see if you can uh, help get them there, but you can't really force them. Um, to kind of go to that next level. So you kind of have to just provide opportunities for the people that uh, will take advantage of it and um, and maybe for the others, um, you know, just try and help them get there.
1: Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And Kevin, uh, this question when we come back will be for you is about just thinking about ROI for a second. If you were to look at an environment, a utopic environment, let's call it utopic, where everyone is passionate, genuinely passionate. What would it do to the work environment? What would it do to the collaboration and the results that the team delivers compared to when they're not fully there? If the delta, the difference between not being there and truly there, if that was huge enough and it was presented in the right fashion, Would it allow you to make the business case, to develop the breathing room, to do less in a given day? Yes, you'll do overall more, but do less in a given day so that people get a chance to come out of that workload where they're up to their eyeballs and rekindle their passion and live a good journey in their profession and personal lives as well. Can this ROI be quantified and or articulated so that we can start making a significant difference in the way we give the life, the professional life to the worker who comes in. And as a result, we will have genuine passion that will come out as a result. Please stay tuned listeners. We'll be right back and explore.
0: cio talk network with sun joke all at ciotalknetwork.com you are listening to ctn cio talk network with sun joke all to learn more about our program please visit ciotalknetwork.com now back to the show
1: Welcome back. So, Kevin, we always talk about ROI. So, if you were to create an ROI case, if you will, or ROI justification for allowing an environment where the collaboration and the result and the overall passion level of people would go significantly high compared to where it is today, which should automatically result in innovation, better productivity, and better overall outcome, would that be the recipe for you and other leaders to be able to fundamentally rethink and reset the environments we have today and reap the benefits?
2: So
3: the way I would approach that, that question is, one, there's, even in a utopic environment, the challenge will always be how the overall organization, for me, the challenge is always how the organization embraces change. I, being a service in the industry to my organization, I'm really in response to the needs of the business. I think that as long as the needs of the business can be structured in a way that you can roadmap, prepare, and plan, that is absolutely a possibility. One of the things I've noticed in my organization is that there are times where we can roadmap. We do have a long-term roadmap. But the issue we have is just like with COVID-19, the situation we're in now, so much of our, our operational processes were put on hold. So planning for the known unknowns and the unknown unknowns, like a COVID-19, puts us in a situation where it's not always, we're not always capable of being able to just say, hey, this is how we're going to do it and we're going to put it around this time. And I think if your organization has a good, clean structure, around change, and we recently implemented lean as how we manage change, and then you've developed a corporate culture around continuous improvement, which will allow them to understand that the minimum viable product is what we start with, and then we continuously improve over time, that will then definitely enable you to be able to take the perspective of, I'm going to just give a set, and not necessarily worry about deadlines per se, but worry about the output and the quality of the output. I would love to do that. And I think it is worth having that discussion in many cases. But I think there's a balance. I think there's a balance of where part of your time you can do that and you can give individuals to chase some of the passionate projects, that the, the projects you're passionate about, like has already been stated earlier, and be able to say that, hey, you, this is your time for passionate projects, but this is your time for day-to-day business. So I think there's a balance there and it is worth uh, having that discussion. And we do that on our, on our end. We do that now. And we've seen efficacy where we've gotten deliverables. We've had projects that we were able to take a project where it was originally planned and, and scoped for about a six to nine month deliverable. I gave it to one passionate individual, him by himself, was able to deliver that in 90 days and roll it out to 4,000 users that impact 2 million of our, our, of our clients. So for us, and for me, I've seen deliverables where you give it to a passionate situation and, it's get, and it gets done immediately. But they also know that the balance is sometimes you have to work on the day-to-day grind and make sure that we're going to still be able to deliver what the business is requiring us And at the same time, you get an opportunity for the passion. So I think it's a give and take, and it's a reward in our environment.
1: Louis, would you think based on, uh, thanks so much, Kevin, for your response. And Louis, I would like to ask you, should we look at us as IT department as subservient, or should we step up and lead the charge and say, maybe I can lead by example, by building a subculture where you allow the passion to truly unleash the capabilities of individuals and teams and which builds, builds the results and which in turn you take back as an ROI-based business case and win it and, and become the poster child for the company and which in turn allows it to percolate throughout the organization and, and suddenly you have fundamentally led the transformation versus waiting for someone else in the organization or the organization itself to transform first before you can start even thinking about this passion thing we are talking here
2: uh, yeah I mean I agree I think I mean that's the um, that's the kind of approach um, you know that I think we've been going down is that we're not we're not waiting on things to happen um, we're, we're trying to get things done I don't, um, I don't think I would use the word subservient but I think we're um, you know, we're definitely client focused, and we want to make our uh, customers happy, um, and we do that, you know, in whatever way we can. Um, we don't wait for, um, um, you know, something to come from top and say, "Hey, go do this." Um, but we're um, we're trying to motivate our employees to get those things done, and I think it's important to understand there are different like levels of of um, you know of employees out there, and so you're going to have some people who are passionate at different levels than others. And so, um, I think there's a, there's a saying like, you know, if you want to get something done, you go to a busy person or a passionate person. Um, so, you know, that would, that would be an example where, you know, if I have something to do, you know, I may have to go to a person that's super busy, uh, to get it done. One of those people who are more passionate, um, and then maybe move things around to, you know, say I don't want to overwhelm that person. Um, but I think, um, I don't think we're waiting. I think we're driving forward. I think we're trying to drive a change in the organization, you know, um, from a technology perspective, the way we do things, um, and, and obviously a lot of people are going to use uh, these tools to, uh, you know, generate their own passions in other departments. So, but I think, yeah, I, I agree with what you said, and, and um, you know, I think I think that's kind of the road we're going down.
1: So, question for you, uh, Lewis, what? is truly holding you or other leaders back from becoming intentional and actually start focusing and even if you're trying to focus and trying to unleash the passion what holds you back today so if we inventory that then at least we will know what challenges we're facing so we can try cracking those problems
2: um getting getting buy-in from leadership on investments is is always challenging (coughs) um I'm not sure about, you know, not every CIO will report into the CFO, but I do. And, um, you know, sometimes it's challenging getting that investment for, uh, you know, training, education and and conferences and different things that that might elicit some of that passion and kind of open someone's minds up, Um, you know but you know if if you don't have the money sometimes you have to get creative and and do it different ways so uh you know I, t- I tend to lean on my partners a lot uh my technology partners uh to kind of get some uh, training and different sessions with them um you know at low or no cost and uh, and and just work with what i've got right so uh but i think getting the buy in from the, you know from your executive leadership team and the board uh, is important to uh, and to be able to motivate you know uh, these employees in uh, the technology teams though you know there's those people are uh, expensive and so uh, and I think there's another saying 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 you know what if I train people and they leave and then what happens if you don't train them and they stay and then you end up with like you know uh, disp- you know unpassionate and uh, unproductive employees so I think there's a balance there uh, between You know, I I think I can train any of my teams and if they leave, that's, that's great for them. That means I've done a good job. And so I'm not kind of focused on that. But I do understand there's, you know, an investment's been made and, you know, I try and get the employee to kind of, um, work with me and say, hey, we're making an investment in you. You know, we want, we want to kind of, uh, get our return on that investment. And, uh, but obviously we're giving you something you want to drive your passion so you can do the things you want as well. But I think there's definitely, uh, You know, a balanced approach for sure.
1: So, Kevin, based on Luce's response, would you say when, say, a CFO or any executive management doesn't buy your pitch to invest in people, into training, in their mentoring, whatever else that you want to do for them, would you say that is shame on the management or is it our shortcoming of being able to tell the right story, create the right use case and or ROI?
3: So I think I think the challenge becomes the audience that you're dealing with. Um, Lewis mentioned one of the organizations that have challenges um, in many cases when it comes to investment is one where CIO reports to CFO. When the CIO doesn't necessarily have the room or, or it's completely at the table where they can, they can make their own decisions from that perspective, it does become a challenge. And I think you have to get in a situation like that to really fully understand the limitations that you may have in trying to communicate the cost benefit analysis of investing in this particular resource to train them so that they can walk out the door and you lose your investment. I think when you're dealing with um, a financial group or financial organization who understands investments their return on investment is, is the limitation. I think you have to decouple your, your discussion and your point from return on investment to continue. In my mind, what I was able to do was decouple from return on investment to continuous improvement and the long-term benefits of a continuous improvement environment. I mean, when we implemented lean in our organization, it allowed us, to be able to decouple from the individual resources that are on hand to creating a culture where when you come in the door, you're already equipped with continuous improvement tools and training is a part of that. And continuous growth is a part of that knowing that you're increasing the baseline of your organization's knowledge base. And that even when an individual leaves, you're not held hostage to that tribal knowledge walking out the door because you created a baseline where that knowledge is shared and it's just a part of your culture. So technically, I guess that's the argument you could make in that situation, but I don't think it is just as simple as not making the right argument. I think it's the having the right audience in the room to make the the argument to justify getting that. And I think top-down leadership is always a challenge for a CIO, regardless of the situation you're in, I was fortunate to have buy-in and I was fortunate to be able to show efficacy early with some of the investments that we did make that investing in a continuous improvement model for our organization made a lot of sense long term for the overall benefits. One being reduction of our staff turnover at what point we had 50% turnover in our staff and I'm talking by 5,000 employees and I was able to implement something as simple as, virtual reality. We now interview every one of our candidates that comes into our organization and they go through a virtual reality simulation, real life simulation, real life actors, where they actually go in and simulate and we get to uh, look at them and understand their ability to respond, what tools are they coming in the door with, as well as they get an opportunity to experience the work. And in many cases candidates elect themselves to leave or not even take the job once they have an immersed experience of what the job entails. And then two, we score those individuals to really get an understanding of what their strengths and weaknesses are. And we're able to put them in the right place if they choose to become candidates so that we can actually get the maximum benefit out of that. That investment was, was was a significant investment and without that use case, We would have never made that. It had been proposed multiple times. But I identified a use case that allowed us to be able to show what we can do with that. And we've reduced our staff turnover by 18%. So now when we propose those types of things, yes, the answer is yes. We don't get much pushback anymore at this point because we showed how continuous improvement can help us. And some of the things that are focused in that area goes. But it's tough to go through when you're dealing with a fiscal situation and get investment. So I think, yes, it is partially argument, but it's also audience.
1: Let's take a quick break, listeners. Uh, we'll be right back. So, Lewis, when we come back, let's talk about how are we treating our people so that they are seen as humans. Well, of course, they are humans. We all know that. But we call them human resource a resource means you got to fully utilize a resource. But then if a person is also having issues at home, which very well can happen, people have personal lives, it can impact what they do at work. So what do we do to keep a watch on what they are dealing with? And of course, they will not reveal everything to you. But what do we do so that on the personal side and on the professional side, we look at them human first and actually not as a resource. Some, something, a resource is something which you try to fully consume and get the most value off, like utilitarian model. How can we treat our people as humans so that they can, if they have passion in them or if you want to unleash passion in them, that at least becomes a possibility what are we doing? What are we not doing? How can we get better? Please stay tuned listeners. We'll be right back.
0: CIO Talk Network with Sunjoke All at ciotalknetwork.com You are listening to CTN CIO Talk Network with Joke All Now back to the show
1: Welcome back. So, Lewis, let's look at an employee who works, of course, 8 to 10 hours at you know at work, and sometimes they take work home, but they have personal lives too, and they have other reasons why they are coming to work and living the life that they want to. How can we positively impact all areas of an individual life and not think about them at all as a resource, but instead as a human who you want to make so good and help them become so good that the output or the outcome will naturally come and benefit you versus thinking company first or customer first and you your employee second or third. What holds you back or what holds us all leaders back from doing so?
2: Um, well, I think it's just, you know, you've got to know, you're going to know your employees. Um, you've got to have those, um, you know, regular conversations and, uh, help them treat them as, um, you know, as people, um, to develop that trust, right. Um, you know, your coworkers are like your extended family to me. Um, so I think you have to kind of have that relationship with them. Uh, you have to understand them. Um, but then you also have to, you know, you also have to let them, you know, communicate with you. You know, I don't think, uh it would make sense to kind of, you know, try to badger them and get information out of them. Um, I think, uh, you know, you've got to be available when they need you. So if they knock on the door and your door's closed, um, you know, and and they they can't get to see you, um, you know, that's not that useful. So you have to have a kind of an open door um, kind of policy towards them. You have to have that conversation and trust at a certain level. Um, You're not going to know everything about them. Um, but in, in the case of, you know, where they have issues at home that are affecting their work, you know, you just got to be available and say, okay, how can I help right? as, as anyone would do, um, you know, and then, and then just, you know, be authentic about it. And just, you know, if they, if they say they have some kind of personal issue, issue, issue that's affecting their life, uh, and they need either, you know, time or, or some other kind of, um, flexibility, um, you know, you need to, you know, you need to consider that and um, try and be as flexible as possible. You know, without being rigid, and you know, don't just say no, no. Your your schedule is, you know, X to X. Uh, if they need to take some time off to go to doctors or see family or whatever it is, um, my approach to this has, has generally been that you know, um, you know, yes, you're paid to do a job, and, and we still want to get that job done, but outside of that. Um, you know, I'm almost 100% uh, flexible to kind of um, help that employee kind of, you know, work work out their home issues, but also get the job done. And you know, we have, I mean, if they if they really can't come into work and do that, you know, they're they you know, they can take sick days or vacation days or. Um, you know, or, or work out some other arrangement with me, right, comp time and other things. So I think it's just being flexible. That I don't think there's any one answer because we, it's like uh, Kevin said before. We don't really know always what, what's going to come, um, and especially with COVID-19 now, you know, we're we're having to be, you know, much more flexible than we've probably ever been before, um,
1: Sure. So, Kevin, based on Lewis's response, would you think that if we gave them the permission and allowed flexibility, does that get translated in the employee's mind as care? So,
3: I would say that um, it is 100% depending on the employee. Um, there are employees that would absolutely embrace that as care, and those individuals who are passionate and disciplined and are really focused on the work will absolutely take advantage of that opportunity to put more and pour more into the organization. There, also are, there are also individuals who may take advantage of that. So I think that's the balance, and that's where I as a CIO, and I'm sure Lewis as well, we balance the act of justifying working from home and less time on hours given for the same salary to individuals who don't quite understand the benefits of having someone be more efficient. There are, there is, there is numbers that actually look at coefficient of an employee where over time the productivity of an individual employee drops based on the total amount of hours that that employee is putting into work. And when we show that, that that actually is a trend and it real and it's real, we're able to, for me, justify that. But I do think that giving more hours, some employees will take advantage of that from a perspective of benevolence. And then there's also those who take advantage of it from a malevolence. And then we have to do the balancing act for that.
1: So, Louis, when you look at the way you did what you did in terms of giving them flexibility and you allowed uh, or you gave them the permission to do whatever they want whenever they want but as long as the results come has that been good enough to kindle their passion or you you did something more or different which helped you get them to go that extra mile and they volunteered to do it
2: yeah, I mean, I think this is just one of the ways that we kind of develop trust and work with employees to kind of, you know, get to a better place on our relationship, right? So, you know, we're flexible when they need us to be. I think, um, you know, I don't think I went out to all my employees and said, you, you know, you can do whatever you want. Um, I think I took more of a case-by-case kind of approach to it. Um, so they so they still need to kind of either come to me or one of my managers and, and kind of have that conversation. Um but, but I think it just develops trust, right? They know that they can come to us and we'll help them solve their issues, right, rather than uh, being rigid and they know that they can't come to you to solve their problems. So I think it's just one of the tools to develop trust. Uh, you know, when you have trust between two individuals, you can get a lot more accomplished than without trust. And so that's the, that's the kind of approach I'm taking. But it's really just one of the tools that we use to kind of, um, you know, develop trust between you know, employee, employer, employer.
1: So what's your checks and balances which allows you to ensure that, like the way you would have handled that employee, your manager is doing the same?
2: Uh, we, we just have, we just, you know, we just talk through it. Um, if, um, if there's some special circumstance that's um, happening, um, you know, we don't, we don't have a big team. Um, so we, you know, we can kind of talk through it. I understand it and, Excuse me. I understand that in uh, you know in larger organisations that may not be as um, as clear cut. Um, but obviously, you know, if you have a um, a process in place of discussions, you can kind of map that out to more employees. So, but at, at this time, I basically, are, you know, I, I get feedback from the managers uh, on those conversations, and you know. They present a solution, and then I kind of just review it with them, and make sure that it, uh, you know, is not the outside of, you know, common sense or what we think is normal, and we're not kind of impacting the business. Um, obviously, the business is still paying that salary for that, um, that, you know, that person, and so um, we want to make sure that they get their value um, out of their investment, and then um, on the other side, we want to make sure also that the employee is there and, and that. Trust is still there, and we can help them through whatever they're going through.
1: So, Kevin, whenever we look at passionate individuals, or you see them in action and or collaborating with others, conflicts will surface because both parties are passionate. But then organizational culture typically has been to remove or reduce the conflicts which in a way could be sending a message to those individuals that I cannot be me. I cannot express my opinion. Or it will be seen differently. So when they don't express their opinion, when they don't speak their mind, there is a direct loss of related to innovation and new ideas and, you know, collaboration, effective collaboration, which would hurt the company. So how do you deal with... Conflict management so that it does not stifle passion?
3: So my teams, if you ever spoke to any of my employees, they would, tell, they would laugh about this question because I love confrontation. And confrontation from the perspective of constructively dealing with conflict. So for me, I require us to get in the room. We have regular meetings with my teams and my leadership where we get in the room and there's no title when we walk through that door. And I encourage them to challenge my ideas in many cases so that we get the best idea. I don't feel like I always have the answer, even if I'm right. It doesn't mean that you can't challenge it. Because if my answer and if what I think in my direction doesn't stand up to the criticism of, Uh, one of my employees or members of my teams, then it's not the right answer. So my team understands that that is how we deal with, we confront the issue. We get together as a group, all stakeholders in that particular scenario in the room, having this discussion and may the best idea win. And when what Lewis mentioned earlier, I don't care about my, my actual job, my responsibility from the perspective of my career. I know where I am, I know who I am, I know what I've accomplished. I focus on getting the best ideas and looking at my employees as my children, lack of a better term. I feel like I'm at the kingmaker perspective where I wanna make kings and queens out of these individuals. I wanna train my replacement all the time. So I'm looking for individuals who can step up and confront the issues that they would in my position and deal with getting a solution and apply benevolence apply the, the uh, sense that you have an idea and I respect your idea. So we come into a place where we confront the issues respectfully, we apply empathy, and we look at everyone's perspective and we come up with a solution.
1: Now, that said, uh, so Lewis, when you look at the approach that you are taking to, of course, get the passion uh, kindled and maintained... Is there something specific you're doing to make sure that that passion doesn't get dissipated or it is not uh, misused, if you will, and instead gets converged and channelized into getting some meaningful results and an impact?
2: Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think um, maybe some of the ways that we do our meetings here, so you know, when we when we have to do some kind of engineering or some kind of uh, meeting work around a specific solutions, um, I like the teams to kind of you know I have an introductory call to kind of lay out what the um, you know business requirements are, um, you know what the the guardrails are and things like that, um, and then I, and then I just send the team off and you know I, so I I kind of trust the team to go off and uh, by themselves and have a discussion engineer to engineer without any uh, leadership in the room and then, and then come back with their ideas. Cause I, I think it just, it, it elicits a different re, different result than if I'm sitting in the room giving direction. Right. So I'm trying, I know I've been, I was an engineer, for, you know, for 20, 30 years. And so, um, you know, if I'm in the room, you know, the automatic instinct is to, is to join in and, and engineer as well. Um, so I kind of abstract myself from that layer, let them engineer, and, they, and then come back and we have that discussion about where, did that, you know, did their solutions or, so, you know, set of solutions that they came up with, you know, does that resolve the, uh, you know, the, the business uh, need, right? And then uh, I found that works uh, pretty well. Um, you know, we do have some project management in the room to kind of hold things together, um, but you know, I think then they, you know, they understand that you trust them. Uh, you're putting faith a little bit in the, into the engineering process, and uh, and you're also not, you know, telling them how you want it. You're kind of just letting them say, well, here's the business problem. You know, go solve for it. Come back with a few options, and and then we'll go from there. Right? We'll look at those three options, and you know, and then we'll have to consider them for cost and risk and you know, other variables that are like more business related, which is where I focus on just, uh, you know, will I be able to sell this to the CFO? Is there ROI there? Those kind of things.
1: Let's take a quick quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And I'd like to build upon um, Lewis's response. So, Kevin, when I come to you, based on what Lewis mentioned, is that, you know, during the meetings, you also, if you want to go geek, you go geek and join the the gang and, and kind of work with them. But then, one is to see demonstration of passion during the meetings, another is when one person is putting their heads down and actually working on things. The way they are tackling things, the way they are interpreting things, the way they are challenging things could be happening when they are actually doing their job. What could you do so that at that time there is less dissipation and more channelizing of the energy? Please stay tuned listeners, we'll be right back and explore.
0: cio talk network with sun joke all at ciotalknetwork.com you are listening to ctn cio talk network with sun joke all now back
1: to the show Welcome back. So, so Kevin Lewis mentioned that, of course, very, very good way of uh, channelizing their energies and like, you know, get to their level, talk to them, get them to speak their mind. And during the meetings and any conversations we have, try to steer them in one direction. But then there is a lot of work that's actually getting done when they are by themselves or maybe talking among their peers to get certain things done. At that time, there's a lot of potential for dissipation of that energy. How do you prevent that?
3: So I think one of the things that we've done is implemented something very similar to, to We, I've learned that even though I ask them to challenge, I know they don't. And when I'm in the room and when I'm in the conversation, whatever I say is what's going to actually end up being what they do, which is not the objective. So I also have removed myself from the uh, day-to-day. I provide the overall context. I'll provide the architectural vision and roadmap. But what I what we've done is we've implemented Scrum and Agile methodologies to execute our work. So our Scrum masters are, are subject matter experts and developers and engineers and not necessarily the project managers. We do have project management resources that manage the triple constraint for sure, the time, cost, and quality of the project. But we allow these groups to go in and then do their work. We, By leveraging Scrum, our general uh, environment is at a two- to four-week interval in which we can review. That allows me to be able to go back and look at the work at after four weeks, two weeks, to see, are we heading in the direction that I would like to go in? Do they need some level of course correction? And then I can provide that kind of guidance and direction to my managers and then they can provide it to their teams. But it allows me to stay away from the scenario and still guide and direct the work and not allow it to go too far down the path where it's a huge issue or, or, or problem to correct. So what they've embraced it, I know the first, week, well, first month we implemented that, that methodology. The team was able to deliver four solutions for the first time in the history of the organization in one month, and each one of those solutions was slated to be six to nine months long. They were able to deliver that because the people who do the work got out of the way, and the solution was better than what the business expected because they were able to have the right people in the room available at all times, and they delivered that solution, and they were passionate about it. They're passionate because we allow them to take ownership of that. The team took ownership of their solution. And the best thing you can do for technologists is to allow them to take ownership and their creativity to live and breathe in the solution without someone like me stifling it and telling them exactly how to do. I completely echo Lewis.
1: No. That said, when we talk about people, of course, HR gets involved. And I know traditionally, HR is always there with a good intent and they want to help and they want to introduce strategies. If you're trying to work on the passion, while what you do during the work that you deal with them, you're doing um, like the mentoring, the caring, et cetera. But what can be done at an organizational level? What can HR and other departments who are somehow connected to helping people hiring people and grooming them and overall employee welfare related uh, investments and strategies related development effort what help or support should they provide for us to be able to get where everyone is passionate and channelizing that passion into outcomes so lewis this question is for you
2: yeah so from an hr perspective i think it's good to have a good relationship with the hr uh, leaders and uh, and folks Um, So the way you can kind of understand, you know, um, each of the different areas, um, um, issues and, um, you know, problems that we're trying to solve for. Um, And then I think it would be good for, you know, them to come back and kind of give us some guidance and some tools and, um, you know, once they hear kind of, hey, what our problems are, hey, we've got these three problems. Okay, here's some tools that will help solve those problems. uh, and, And I think having, you know, Regular conversations with HR is, is not unusual for me. Um, I think I you know I tend to talk to an HR representative, uh, you know, on a weekly basis just to kind of understand, um, you know, what our internal policies are versus what I'm 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 doing, and I'm trying not to go you know, outside of that, right? So if I feel like I'm going outside of it, um, I'm going to have a conversation with HR and just make sure that I'm kind of aligned with the company's, um, you know, HR policies and goals and strategy. Um, You know, if I'm I'm not, you know, I still may make that decision anyway um, as a leader of my team, um, but I've got to kind of, you know, at least have a conversation with HR. may Hopefully, come to an agreement about how we're going to handle uh, different situations. Uh, when it comes to driving, um, you know, passion, uh, I think a lot of that is just the trust between, uh, you know, me and my other leaders and and the uh, and the people and the, and the team themselves. So, um, so just having that trust level there, I think my uh, my team knows that I have their back uh, when they uh, when they need it, uh, and if sometimes they. You know, want to have a conversation with HR about their personal things and sometimes uh, they want to have a conversation with HR through me as well so just whatever you know whatever their preference is um, then we usually go with that model
1: Kevin, one last question for you when we have spoken about different elements of what brings passion and how do you channelize energies but sometimes the fixing needs to be done in the leader themselves or, or some shifts so if you were to send a message to all and, of course, even evaluate yourself as a leader, what would you do new, more or different with respect to your leadership uh, mindset and, say, management approach so that you at least know that you're doing your best to kindle or rekindle passion and then to channelize their energies into some meaningful impact?
3: Um, I personally would, you know, we're, we're going through an, a complete organizational operational process, people process, uh, technology process transformation. I think the one thing that I would love to do more, and I had more time earlier on, and I was able to spend a bunch of quality time doing staff development with my teams. And now that the technology is driving the transformation for the other six to 5,000 users that we have, twenty thousand external vendors and clients who work with us and then two million individuals who are subject to us. That part of that of this job now has taken so much more of me. So I would say that more time developing my people, less time focused on technology solutions would be what I would want to do.
1: Thank you both, Kevin and Lewis, for sharing your insights on how leaders can unleash passion in people and help channelize it to drive impact through meaningful outcomes. Thanks so much again. Thank you. And listeners, please like us on Facebook, search for CTN CIO Talk Network, and be sure, sure to follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you again for listening to this segment on CTN. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless.